Welcome to the Joy Factory Monthly, an inappropriately named podcast for the Joy Factory Project by yours truly, Sean Duke. On today's show, updates on the Joy Factory Project and happenings in the Duke's neck of the woods, and three new monthly joys featuring weird animals, an exciting animalistic movie, and some special cards to make your day magical. joining me on this adventure of discovery and wonder i'm your host sean duke proprietor of the skiffy and fanty show professor of nerdly things and sometime writer and ttrpg dork if you're here it means you fell down a magic well into some kind of alternate reality and so before we dive into some of the wonderful things i've discovered or rediscovered this week that i'm going to share with all of you a few quick updates on the joy factory are in order so Number one, you may have noticed different music than in the previous three episodes. That's because I was playing around with Magic's Music Maker Premium Edition and fiddling with loops and all those kinds of things, and I just kind of liked it. I'm probably going to do that a number of times throughout the year, just fiddle farting around and coming up with new music because I'm weird like that. So I hope you enjoy it. It's maybe not as joyful, but my brain is kind of weird and goes to the dark places for some strange reason. Uh, the other thing you may have noticed is this is probably not a monthly podcast anymore, hence why I'm now referring to it as the inappropriately named podcast. Uh, I've been doing kind of little quick one-offs of you know roughly 15-minute episodes where I talk about topics that people suggest to me that they think I'd be interested in. And obviously, if you would like to suggest a topic to me, you can yell at me on Twitter at Sean Duke or go to uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash thejoyfactory, and you can suggest topics there. I typically cover geeky stuff, as you may have noticed, but I'm interested in lots of different topics. The other thing I'm working on for the Joy Factory is trying to convert especially the weekly joygasm which is my link field uh you know feature going over lots of interesting things i've discovered in science and geekery and in writing and you know cfps for interesting academic stuff and so on and so forth that i'm thinking about converting into a proper newsletter through substack partly because to be honest i find patreon's uh post structures really not conducive to having a decently designed space. It ends up looking kind of overwhelming, and I want something that just looks prettier. And I've been seeing a lot of other folks like Alistair Stewart on the full lid or Aiden Moher of um, Astrolabe doing some interesting work with you know making it much more visual and, and making it more interesting. It also gives me a space to kind of create something once a month that maybe pushes me to create more content that isn't just the links for the weekly joygasm. So I think I'm going to work on that throughout this week and probably next week as well. So expect that in the future. The Joy Factory also is going to have something new on Medium this week, which is me talking about Pete's Dragon from 1977, which specifically I'm going to be looking at its treatment of child trafficking in the U.S. adoption industry from the period preceding when the film was made, but definitely as part of the period in which the film is set. And I'm I'm really interested in that largely because as a kid, I didn't 
realize that this this film was dealing with a historical subject that is actually quite horrifying and was pretty widespread. So we're going to talk about that. And then the other thing is I'm going to be over on the Skiffing Fanny show uh, recently was talking about Cabin in the Sky from 1943, which features an all-black cast, including folks like Lena Horne um, and so on and so forth. And also coming up will be an episode on Space Sweepers, a new uh, film from this year, and also The House of Exorcism, uh, or more appropriately known as Lisa and the Devil, as I've been told multiple times by David Annadale, which will be part of the uh, totally pretentious feature on the Skiffing Fanny Show. There's also Torture Cinema coming later this month, but we don't know what the movie is yet because our people are still voting on it. So it's going to be a packed few weeks, and you should expect lots of interesting conversation and wonder, and if you keep up, with what I do and support all of these adventures, you know, if you want to keep up with that, you obviously join the Patreon at, uh, again, patreon.com slash joyfactory. So with that in mind, let's take a dive into some truly strange and exciting and joyful things. So number one is Godzilla vs. Kong, which is coming out on March 25th of this month and is a film that I didn't anticipate myself being super excited for. But having recently rewatched Godzilla from 2014 and also rewatched Skull Island, uh, which was the, the more modern adaptation of King Kong, uh, I am oddly really interested in this film. And I, I'll go over some of the reasons why in a minute. But just a little bit of background about the film. This is an, uh, another film that's going to be released on HBO Max. We being obviously still in a pandemic, that means that there is a limit to how much we can actually do in the real world in terms of theaters. And so this is going to be going out to HBO Max. I think that's going to be mostly US. I don't know how that is going to work outside the United States. And I apologize to folks that are more international. Uh, but, you know, send me a, a message or something if you know what the solution will be on your end to watch this film outside of theaters so that you can stay safe. Uh, it's going to be directed by Adam Wingard, who is primarily a horror director, did a, a couple of films or a couple pieces of the VHS franchise, um, and is probably best known now as uh, the person behind the English adaptation of Death Note, which for the most part people didn't really enjoy. Uh, I find this really interesting in large part because unlike some of the previous directors for this franchise, uh, this guy is not as, as well known as an action director, uh, you know, or even in giant monster movies as the very first director for uh, Godzilla in 2014 was. So it's an interesting choice. But, and so I'm, I'm really curious to see how is he going to bring his much more low scale horror sensibility to a basically a movie with a giant lizard and a giant gorilla fighting each other on top of, you know, aircraft carriers and other kinds of things. And there may be some other stuff going on. I've only watched one trailer and I refuse to learn anything more because I want to be uh, surprised. The film's also written by Eric Pearson and Max Borenstein. Pearson worked on Thor Ragnarok and Agent Carter as a writer. Borenstein worked on the 2014 Godzilla, uh, which I've actually come around to thinking is a, a pretty solid movie. He also worked on Kong Skull Island, which I also think is just fine. It's not great but I, I thought elements of it were really well done his writing and credits also include some interesting stuff like working on the miniseries for minority report which i've not had a chance to see and a show called the terror which i didn't know about but should have which looks like a horror anthology series so he's worked on some interesting stuff uh so from a writing perspective i think this crew is, is pretty in, an interesting crew male crew and so i would you know very much like to see some diversity on this side but you know 
as you do. So the story also comes from Tara, uh, Terry Rocio, Michael Doherty, and Zach Shields. These folks have worked on things like Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Shrek, Trick or Treat, and Krampus. Um, not each of them, but you know, across the the spectrum of what they've worked on. So they have a pretty wide resume of uh, you know genre related content. That's pretty interesting here. The stories by them, the screenplay is not. So I don't know exactly what that means in the context here. So why am I excited about this? Well, one is giant monsters. I mean, I, do I need to say more? It's giant monsters. And holy hell, we have had a, a year that has been just, quite frankly, quite awful. And so maybe a movie about giant monsters punching each other and, and biting each other uh, while humans run around like little ants going, oh my goodness, is precisely what we kind of need. It's a bit of just exciting escapism. It is visual spectacle. Uh, it is going to be probably a lot of fun to watch. The other is I'm actually curious how they're going to merge these two. If you've seen Kong Skull Island, I mean, Kong is pretty big in Kong Skull Island. I mean, I would argue even bigger than is probably normal. If you think about like the classic Kong, you know, showing up in the Empire State Building and staring on top and going at the airplanes, right? That Kong is probably like a third of the size of the Kong in Kong Skull Island. And this is an interesting idea because there has been, you know, Kong fighting characters, other monsters and stuff in, in classic Kong cinema. But this is a modern adaptation, which is trying to have him be as big as the uh, affectionately referred to as the fat Godzilla or thick Godzilla, as some might say. Uh, he needs to be big in order to adequately fight a creature of that size. So he is massive. I am super curious to see how they're going to have these two fight each other. They're very different in terms of their fighting styles, uh, of what they're what they can are capable of doing, the damage that they can cause. You know, Kong doesn't have fire breath, uh, blue fire breath, whatever you want to call it, but he also has long, lanky arms, and he can punch you and beat you with a tree. So those are things that you got to always watch out for if you're a giant lizard from, you know, the ancient times that has been living in the ocean and was awakened by people detonating atomic bombs, and he got very angry about it. So that's what I'm really curious about. I'll also just say that... This franchise, while I know that it gets a lot of criticism for maybe being lackluster on story or being lackluster in terms of, you know, its development of characters. I mean, that was certainly my criticism of Godzilla from 2014, which is this idea that the humans really aren't relevant. And I know that David Andale's talked to me about this a number of times, saying that that's kind of the point. Humans are ants in comparison, and seeing them as ants visually is really interesting. The thing that really interests me, though, about this franchise is that the directors and cinematographers that they have selected for this have really thought a lot about some of the shot choices they make. You know, I, I was just watching Kong Skull Island, and there is an absolutely stunning, I would argue, artistic shot of the sun behind Kong as he stands up and the distortion from the light and the heat and these helicopters coming into frame with this music just really setting the this tone and this this tension as as we've watched the for the first time seeing Kong in full form it is as stunning as some of the images we've had in Godzilla from 2014 which i still to this day find astonishingly beautiful uh the the shot of Godzilla in in all of the smoke 
being lit up by lightning strikes is to me one of the most beautiful images that the the franchise has done so to me i i i i do find the the visual spectacle of godzilla versus kong that we're going to get from this film to be particularly compelling and so i i can't wait to see how this looks it's not going to be in a big screen it'll be on my tv which is nowhere near the size of a big screen uh which is sad but you know what i imagine if this film does well they're going to do a re-release in an imax somewhere and i probably will pay for it if this movie is at least serviceable as a film and is as beautiful as i hope it will be all right, well, so the next one I want to talk about is actually related to this, which is dealing with creepy animals. Uh, so there's a new study out from Current Biology, a report on two species of Sacoglossin uh, sea slugs, which have been found to not only be able to regenerate, which I'm sure is a thing many slugs can do, uh, but also will remove their entire heads and regenerate a new body including new internal organs. Now, that's kind of wild. They can remove their own heads and regenerate their entire bodies, which is banana pants. Now, apparently older specimens can't do this. They do still remove their heads, and the heads are still active for a period of time that is quite shocking for an animal of its size uh but they don't necessarily regenerate at age so it seems to be a a young slugs game as it were uh it is the gen z slug is how how you have to get it going um but it is a thing that they have observed in multiple specimens and the heads continue to interact they continue to move they actually continue to feed uh especially the young ones and then they regenerate and they can do it more than once now this isn't the only animal that can do this we all know this right many species of lizard can regrow their tails salamanders and newts are known to regrow numerous parts of their bodies including limbs and eyes and you know some internal structures right uh there's some evidence that crocodilians can also regenerate parts of their jaw if they're injured and things like that there are also many species of worms which regenerate uh i think that's mostly because they're creepy and then there's uh, echinoderms, or echinoderms, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. You know, things like starfish and sea urchin, which also regenerate. Although the little sad part here is there is some sort of horrifying wasting disease that's decimating starfish populations at the moment, uh, which is, a, you know, kind of the reverse of this, which is not regenerating limbs, limbs being pulled off of their bodies. Uh, it's pretty horrifying. But the idea is, like, this is not new. It's just taken to extreme levels. There are very few creatures on this planet that are, you know, above a pretty low-level organism in terms of the, the hierarchy of complexity uh, that can regenerate huge portions of their body. And the more that we discover, the more fascinating nature becomes. This is super interesting from a scientific perspective, for one. I mean, think about it. We're already doing tons of research on regeneration, learning how to regenerate limbs and ears and other kinds of things, and finding methods for humans to be able to, to participate in this. Uh, we're looking at ways to incorporate this into medicine and in, in all that. But it's also really fascinating because nature is just a weird, weird place it is truly weird i mean me watching some of the the interesting nautilus uh deep sea uh drone footage of them discovering like 
underwater lakes of death and other kinds of just strange creatures and ways of existing uh, or watching a thing the other day about uh, the symbiotic relationship between marine iguanas and one a species of crab that helps clean off algae and and uh, parasites and dead skin from their bodies or or these tiny little lizards that hang out with seals and eat the flies off their body you know these these the nature is a strange and magical place but it is also a place that gives us some horrifying reminders that nature is super weird. I mean, just think what would happen if humans could cut off their own heads and grow a new body. You effectively have uh, The Thing, which is a classic film. You all should watch it if you've never seen it. This is definitely story story fodder. I mean, 100%. You're going to get into this and you're going to think, my goodness, I could write a whole story about sea slugs regrowing their bodies. Uh, I also think that there has to be more influence here throughout literature of, you know, entities and beings throughout fables and so on that can regenerate certainly is being influenced by the awareness that people had of the natural world, the natural world as one in which Things can regenerate. You know, they, they had to have known that that was a thing. And in some cases, they, you know, older cultures might have interpreted this as supernatural or or in some way evil or scary or creepy or, uh, you know, fairy tale like. But in others, right, they certainly were just aware that some species could regrow limbs. And so there's like a scientific implication here that historically this is like one of those interesting things that goes back through time lizards have been regrowing tails for literally centuries it's not magic it's just a strange thing they can do just like geckos can climb on walls so i find it really fascinating i hope that you do too and you should definitely check it out and write a story now speaking of stories that takes us to the last of the pieces that i want to talk about for this episode which is a thing called the story engine, which is a set of decks of cards for different genres, specifically uh, genre literature like science fiction, fantasy, horror, and related things. Uh, They're a set of deck of cards containing situations, characters, characteristics, and other elements that you can use to create stories, character concepts, you know, tools and items like magic stuff, and more. Uh, It's designed for things like TTRPGs or fiction writing or game design. Uh, It helps you design stories, you know, the skeletons of stories, as it were. I learned about this from Brent Lambert on Twitter, who uh, apparently has sold enough copies of the that the story engine let him temporarily take over their Twitter account. And I just find this whole thing really, really, really interesting. And it's also a lot of fun. And so... This kind of gets down to the handful of reasons of why I really like this. One is it turns the process of coming up with stories into a kind of game, but a game whose outcomes are, at worst, interesting and weird. You can't lose, right? It's it's a game of discovery versus a game of, of winners and losers. And so one of the benefits of this is that it really can get the juices flowing. And I can say that for myself, just sitting down and messing around with the cards, you know, I came up with a lot of really strange ideas for horror stories. Uh, I was playing with one of the expansions for horror as an example of that. So one of the things it's also really great for is it really does get you to think about character design, the connections between characters and plot and so on and so forth. You know, the ideas that this deck comes up with are very general. Uh, it gives you structures, but those are skeleton-like. And what it helps you to do is is build the skeleton, but then start to fill in you know the nuances on your own. The other thing that I think is really cool is you can get real damn weird with it. 
super weird uh, because, again, you can mix and match genres here. You can come up with some strange character combinations. I had one where I came up with an evil uh, ventriloquist dummy who apparently was in conflict with an, a reluctant arsonist, which is such a strange combination. I mean, A, puppets are creepy, uh, and B, why an arsonist? No idea. That's just the way that it went. So, but to give you an idea of some of the other things that I've come up with, uh, you know, I had one where, uh, and I'll just read these to you, and I'll share the the link to the, the Twitter thread of the handful that I did for this. Uh, one was a, a telepathic fan wants to escape the madness of a sinking asylum, but will forget their entire life piece by piece in the process. Meanwhile, a vision-inducing clown wants to imprison a demon inside that asylum, but it will lead their enemy to them. Gasp. Yeah. Just a combination of strange cards that came up that I found really interesting. Or one that's much more fantasy-oriented. An archer wants to open an ancient door, which must be opened by a mimic, but it will destroy wonder in the world. That's a hell of a thing. Meanwhile, the mimic wants to get a rare spell from the archer, but it will corrupt them with power. Now, it's again, it's a skeleton, right? I can use this in a lot of different ways. I can even complicate this by adding more components to it, making it more wild and uh, adding more subplots, etc. Um, I find it really useful for just getting ideas going. I'm going to be using it in a lot of TTRPG stuff coming up because that is a thing I, I will be talking more about in the future. So there you have it, folks. A whole new episode complete. You can find links to all of these things in the show notes for the episode on Acast or presumably whatever podcaster you happen to be using. I'm working on getting this show up on all of the appropriate podcast channels over the next few weeks, but if it's missing from somewhere and you want to make sure to let me know, you can send me a message at seanduke.net or at seanduke on Twitter. Um, If you need something in particular, I can try to make sure that it is available as much as possible. As always, if you enjoyed this, you know, what I do here or elsewhere, go to patreon.com slash thejoyfactory. Please support me there. You can get exclusive content, including peeks into my writing and other stuff. So take care of yourselves, and if you do one thing today, try to make it a joyful thing. Transmission concluded.